Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Full Circle Podcast. We are nearing the end of season four, where we've been chatting with our guests about the theme of discovery. And today's episode topic is one that is very close to my heart. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while or read my book, Coming Home, you'll know that I spent seven long years paying off £97,000 worth of debt that I incurred after the collapse of my business years ago. It was a very stressful journey that I wouldn't wish upon anyone because carrying a financial burden of that size became very, very heavy and impacted so many parts of my life. And that's why I wanted to speak with this week's guest, who is an expert with helping people become financially free. Today, I'm joined by Carol Glynn, a brilliant Dubai-based financial coach and mentor who specialises in helping her clients become financially independent. After earning her bachelor's degree in accounting and human resources, she trained to become a chartered accountant. And after many years of helping organisations thrive, she now uses her knowledge and passion to empower women to take control of their personal and business finances, remove fear around money and lead a financially abundant life. So no matter what your financial situation is, this conversation promises to help you manage your money effectively so you can live a fulfilling, wealthy and conscious life. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Carol, to our conversation. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. No, I've been really looking forward to this because today we are talking about all things financial and the key to financial freedom. So I'm really interested in that as someone who has worked very hard over the last 20 years managing your own business. And I know that our listeners are going to be really interested to hear your advice and guidance on how they can work towards more uh, financial freedom. And any tools and tips you've got for us are going to be absolutely essential. So I thought what might be quite good is just to for me to hand over the reins to you so you could just introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do. Thank you. So I am a finance coach, but this is not what I always did necessarily. So I'll go back a little bit to my history. I, in what feels like a previous life now, was and still am an accountant. So I trained as a chartered accountant in Ireland in the investment management department. And I always wanted to work with numbers. I moved to the UAE and basically, long story short, I progressed very fast. I was very fortunate in my career and especially as a woman in finance, it's a very male dominated industry and I was in the Middle East and I had amazing opportunities and in my last roles was like regional head of finance, sometimes multi-billion dollar businesses, ticked all the boxes. It was, you know, especially my last role, I had amazing experiences, traveled to amazing places and my last role especially, I manifested the job that I thought I wanted. It was great work-life balance. I was very well paid. I was surrounded by amazing inspirational people. I believed in what the company did. I was respected but I wasn't happy. And that's when I thought, you know, I went from the crazy, busy, high pressure, constantly traveling to, okay, I want to, I manifested the job that I wanted and then thought, you know what? It's actually me The you know, there's something amiss here. So that's when I, I sat down and I thought, well, what do I want to do? And that's where my business came up, conscious finance coaching. And what I do is I focus on women and we can talk about why, because I always get asked, why just women? I do work with men who resonate with my approach and my philosophy on it. But I focus on supporting women to feel more empowered and in control of their finances. Um, and I do that both from a personal finance perspective and also from a business finance perspective. So I work with female entrepreneurs because I believe their money is energy. And there's so much power behind that energy when we have a positive attachment to it. And very often as women, we either give that power away, we blanket, we're afraid of it. There's all these limiting belief around money when it comes to, again, not just women, men as well. But I think for me, I just felt really strongly that I could help women really change their lives when they change their mindsets, their habits, their feelings about money and opening them up to so much more positive energy and power in their life. And that's what I did when I left the corporate world behind and um, started coaching and mentoring in finances. And I've been Amazing. doing that ever since. 
That's amazing. Thank you for that introduction. Really interesting. So you said right at the very beginning, though, and this this is what I'm curious about, that you've always been interested in numbers. So what kind of led you to be really curious about numbers when you were younger? You know, when I think back, I can't think when it started. I always loved maths, you know, and I and, you know, and I'm told it was as an adult now, looking back, I can see it is quite unusual because girls aren't generally encouraged in math and accounting or business subjects were tend to be pushed in a different direction. And I just, I guess I was at home. I was very much encouraged. My dad was, you know, a numbers person. He worked as an accountant in many different roles throughout his career. And one of them was an accountant and I really enjoyed it. But interestingly, I also liked the idea of counseling. So when I was deciding on what profession I wanted to do, it was for me counselling or accounting. And my, it was my mother who encouraged me to go towards the accounting profession because she felt that would be more stable. It, w- it would be easier to make money. It would be less stressful. I'm not sure she was right with the stressful piece, but <laughs> it's certainly a, a stressful industry to work in. And I remember sitting out in my garden in like as a teenager and studying for exams and I would probably spend 80% of my study time doing maths, business, accounting and then cram everything else in. Yeah, yeah I just loved it. So tell me then a little bit more about your theories and your experience around why people are perhaps a little bit nervous about wealth or nervous about their money or talking so, about money. And talking about money, this is it. We don't talk about money. And this is global. I mean, I live in the UAE, but I've got clients from, you know, many different countries. Um, And even within the UAE, you know, it's such a diverse country. So my clients are from all over the world. And there is that consistency that talking about money is not polite, especially for women. It's less so with men, I find. And this is where, again, coming back to the why I work with women, because in the research that I've done and talking to friends, family, clients, you know, with men, they're encouraged to earn. You know, it's almost seen it's an expectation. Money is power. Look, you need to provide for your family. The more the more successful you are, the more you're respected. However, with women, um, we tend to be more, you know, be the good girl. Don't ask for too much. You know, having money, wanting money is greedy. Why do you need more than you need? Why do you want more than you need? And that's the difference between, I mean, there's obviously stresses attached to those expectations that are attached to men. But for us, it holds us back as women because we feel like we shouldn't ask for more than we need. And that is in the media, in culture, in homes, in schools. I mean, I was told my mother was a very you know, strong woman who really encouraged me to be independent. But when she talked to me about money, it was about have a bit on the side for yourself and save an amount, your kind of getaway fund, just in case. But there was no talk of more than that. You know, it wasn't go out and, and you know, do, do as much as you can and earn as much as you can. And I think that when we're often shamed, there's a lot of shame around money. We're shamed for wanting more. We're shamed for it seemed greedy to, so many people don't have, why do you want more than you need? And actually, you know, research shows that women are, 80% of us are, tend to give back. So when women have money, um, families thrive, communities thrive, actually economies thrive because we're more likely to use it intentionally and give back because we're givers, we're helpers naturally. So that's, you know, and, and there is a lot of limiting beliefs around this growing up, you know, about even what kind of careers we should go into and why we want to go in them. I mean, it's it's quite complicated. We all have our own money stories, but there's it's really a lot of limiting beliefs around money being bad Absolutely. as well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because obviously just thinking about myself, you know, again, I think it's brought up very similar to you in many ways, you know, that there was always have some savings on the side just in case. There was always that sense of work hard and, and you know, if you work hard, you'll get paid well and, and things like that. Because I think there's a difference isn't it, between working hard and getting paid well, but then there's also the difference between wealth. And financial abundance is in in many ways. And so I think for me, what's your distinction around that kind of wealth abundance piece versus just working hard and getting paid well for what you do? There can be definitely when I was growing up that real strive mentality, you know, and you always have to work hard just to get enough. And, you know, that negative attachment to it as well. And that work is purely to get money to do the basics. But for me, wealth is having just feeling secure in your money living within your values and putting your money behind that, that's a key piece for me. And having the freedom of choice to do 
what you want. It's not, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses. That's more being rich, you know, having the flash car, having the big house, which are all absolutely fine if that's what you genuinely want and brings you happiness. But being rich and having these things when they don't actually bring you happiness, that is not wealth to me. That is not abundance. Money is there to, to bring you and to help you with choices, freedom, to run your life how you want it to be. And that could be living you know, a very minimalist lifestyle and being able to do that freely without having to worry about money. That to me is wealth. It's not necessarily about the number of zeros in your bank account. So tell me how that links into values because I, I, I can hear that this this that kind of more intentional approach to, to living in more of a, a richness in terms of the abundance, but not that traditional sense of rich as you've just described. Yeah, so tell me about the values piece that sit within it. So for me, the values piece is core to all of this because like I said, money is to me is an energy, right? We need it to live. How many decisions do you make on a daily basis that are not impacted by money? You know, very, very few. And when we are not making decisions from a place of our values, then, you know, we, we, we know in life in general, outside money, we tend to be less fulfilled. You know, when we're making decisions based on what's important to us and what feels true to us and what's authentic to us, we tend to be happier. And for me, money is an energy to help you boost that. So when we align how we use our money with what's important to us, we just feel we, we naturally become happier. We have a more fulfilled life and it's easier to make money decisions. It's easier to just not to not compare yourself to what other has other people have. The striving slows down. Because very few of us actually strive to all of these materialistic things. It's like we feel we should. It's all the shoulds. We should have this. We should do that. We should be going there. Our, you know, our friends and our family are all doing all of these things. We should be able to do these things. And what I do with my clients is go, they're all just ideas. You know, having that house, going on that vacation, having that wardrobe, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. They're just ideas. Is it truly important to you? If it is, then yes. Okay, let's work towards achieving that. And how can our money help us to do that? And making sure that we are not, you know, when we when we are not aligning our money with our values, we tend it tends to fall through our fingers. I hear that all the time. I just don't understand. My money's just falling through my fingers. It's because we're not intentional with it. Are you using it with a purpose? Does your money have a purpose? And when we make that connection, it's life changing. I can hear that as well and you know having somebody that has you know so I've had my business down for 20 years and you know there has been ups and downs and I would say that my business is quite entrepreneurial as well and so so there has been ups and downs around you know there's been real times of abundance where there's been a very steady flow of cash coming into the business and then there's been other times like I hit recession in 2009 and I lost more or less everything through that process and had to restart again. And, and I think I think my relationship with money has changed. And I would imagine your client's relationship changes with money as they have different experiences through their lives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it, and it, it changes forever. I think it evolves. And that's from two sides of that is one is just really digging into our money blocks to our money story and that's layers that's multi-layered and then also as you evolve yes and as your life evolves and as your your values change as well our situations change and then at every step again no matter what we're doing whether it's in our business or our personal lives or our marriages money feeds into it there's a money piece to all of it and with my clients what we do is we look at is that money piece holding you back in any way or is it helping to push you forward? Is there a block here that we need to release and understand that is holding you back? And yes, it's it's an ongoing process. So what type of things would hold people back? So your clients say you just said, you know, you'd explore with them what those blockages are. Have you got any examples that you can share? Because I'm sure they'd be quite common or maybe people have also felt the same thing. Yeah. Well one of the things we I, I work with my clients is our language around money because that can tell us our unconscious feelings. So I would ask a question like when you see someone who is rich or wealthy or you perceive to have a lot of money, what thoughts come into your mind? What do you think? Do you criticize them? Do you judge them? Is it negative? And that will tell you that maybe you have an unconscious maybe or a limiting belief that it's bad to be to be wealthy because there is that, you know, very often like that negative attachment with if you're super wealthy, then you must not be a nice person. And sometimes that, you know, can can we're not even aware of it until we start thinking about our thoughts and our language when it comes to money. There is a worthy piece. You know, is it am I the type of person who can be wealthy? So, for example, one of my clients recently told me 
you know, she was feeding back how grateful she was for the work that we've done because she's gone from, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, feeling like she's always striving no matter what she did, she couldn't get forward to now starting to invest. And her words to me was, I'm a person who invests. You know, that was always somebody else. That was other people. That was never going to be me. I'm only this small person from a country town. Now I'm investing and I feel good about it and it feels right. You know, it's that. And you could see her face was lighting up. She was like, I am that person. I can achieve these things. So it's removing that that kind of layer she put on herself to go, I have to stay down here because that's who I am. There is, again, back to the, the shame and guilt around money. There's a lot of that, you know, saying that, for example, I talk to HR managers quite a lot about this and they'll tell me consistently, they tell me, when men come generally, I mean, obviously there's exceptions to all of this, but usually when men come asking for promotions or extra money, it tends to be more, I want this because, and then it's up to the company to say yes or no. Women, and I've heard this from multiple HR managers, I mean, we come in and we go, well, I need it because my kids are doing this and this is why, you know, I, I, I I'm, thank you so much. I'm so sorry to ask for this, but, and they come like this. And it, it's because we feel that we shouldn't be asking for more money. We should be happy with what we have. And we don't ask for what we want. We ask for what we need. I think it's a really interesting because it's the same as, because obviously I've worked in HR as well and I, and I have a lot of HR clients and similar, you know, it's when people are applying for jobs as well, like men, and again, this is very generic, but, but men tend to be more confident with applying for bigger jobs with bigger salaries than women will go, well, actually, I've not got that experience, so I'll hold myself back. And I won't go for it because, yeah, maybe you're right. It's not because we're, we're maybe not chasing what we want. And actually what we're doing is we're, we're doing it based upon what we need. I think it's really interesting. And I suppose that goes back into just what you talked about at the very beginning of the conversation, which is, is the way that we're conditioned. It's the way that we're brought up. And I think that interesting statement is, yeah, just good enough. Now, I know in lots of Scandinavian countries, don't get me wrong, because I know lots of Scandinavians are wealthy and have abundance in, in many different as aspects of their life. But they just work on that just enough concept, don't they? But that doesn't mean to say that if you're working with intention, such as, I've got a good home, I've got a good job, my family are well. My, so, so my values or my intentions around how I live my life is enough. But it doesn't mean to say that we still can't be ambitious and still can't push forward for greater abundance. Is that yes. what you would do with your clients? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I regularly hear from my clients is, oh, I just want to have enough. I just want enough. You know, I want to be, you know, not living paycheck to paycheck. And that's what they, they're aiming for. And what I said, well, why not more? Why not? Why, why not be more comfortable? And actually, like I say, vast majority, the more you have, the more you can do. So this is broader than yourself as well. Many of my clients say they wish they could do this. They wish it could charity. They wish they could give more. They wish to put the kids in other things. Why not? Because the more you have, the more good you can do when you're intentional with it. You can do a lot of good with, in, in the world with that. And I think for women, there is this like the good girl kind of concept. We are raised to like, you know, don't look for too much. Don't be too loud. You know, don't be too crass. Don't be this. Don't be that. Just be enough. Just be there. And we are raised to think that enough is enough. And enough can be enough. And enough is enough, I think, for the fulfillment. Enough is enough to go and to reduce the stress. I'm not stressed. Life is flowing, money is flowing through my life, this is good. And then it's like with that abundance pieces and more. And there's also the protection for the future because we don't know what's around the corner. So enough is enough for today, but what about tomorrow? So it's that buffer as well to protect us for because we, we just don't know what might turn up. And that for me is I, I often say, you know, we can we can't control when life happens. But we can, to a large extent, control how we feel it financially. Because when life happens, again, more often than not, there's a financial impact. So when we're dealing with stress, what may be a death or a job loss or whatever it might be, when we have the financial insecurity on top of that, it just makes it so much bigger. So protect yourself there so you can deal with those other things without that worry. And that's where the abundance comes in. So tell me more then about that kind of buffer, because you hear a lot about having that backup, that emergency funds, the just in case scenarios. So from your experience and, and your knowledge, what, I don't know, this is, you can answer even the answer to this question, but what, what, what's a good buffer to have? It is, it is a difficult, not a difficult question to answer, but it's not a, 
this is it. And then that's back to, for me, my whole belief is that money is personal. It's personal finance. It's personal to you. So, and this is what we drop the shoulds. You know, I talk a lot about the shoulds, but I do have one. And that is we should have an emergency fund. It's my one and only should. And that is because it protects us. It protects us kind of physically with money, but it also protects us psychologically, our mindsets, because when we have that safety net, we feel freer with money and that opens doors to other things. How much should it be? It depends. So, that you know, a rule of thumb, I kind of start with, let's look to three to six months of your cost of living. And then you put those numbers down and say, okay, let's look at those. How does that feel to you? Does that make you feel, if you had three months of your cost of living sitting in the bank account, three months of expenses are covered if you suddenly lose your job or you're sick and you can't work, whatever it might be, or you just want to quit. Does that make you feel safe? Yes, it does. Great. That's a good number to start with. No, actually, I'm leaning towards the nine months because it's about how you feel about it. And then there's other more practical aspects of you know, are you in a, are you a two income household? So you have another income to fall back on. So that might help you reduce it a little bit. Are you in an industry that it, you can quickly replace your job very easily? Or is it like, you know, you're a C-suite individual, it might take you a year to get another job. So you need to build that into it. Um, so there's other aspects that we need to look to as well, but it's a combination of practical and then how it makes you feel. Because actually for me, how it makes you feel is right up there is probably the most important piece. The rest is just numbers, it's maths. And then it's, it's important to get it right as well because for me, we wanna put our money to work. So your emergency fund will sit in a bank account with inflation at the moment. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Bank account, bank, I mean, I, there's, I can think of three countries in the world where you get a semi-decent interest rate, you know, on just depositing your, your funds in the bank. So it's actually losing money. So you don't want to put too much in there because you want to put your money to work. You want to put your money out investing, buying property, whatever it is you want to do with it so that it's actually working for you so that you can relax a bit more as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. I love that idea of actually making your money work for you rather than you just keeping it safe. But but I do think safety is the key to freedom, isn't it? In terms of if you can feel secure, if you can feel safe in your surroundings, i.e. the fact that you have enough money, then it does give you that freedom of choice. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's and that's what this is, safety. Your emergency fund gives you that sense of safety. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I suppose from a psychology, if we even go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, safety is right there. It's the second kind of need that we have to have met. And so without that security, and without that safety, then that can make us behave quite differently and quite irrationally and, and maybe not make the right decisions, not kind of choose then how our money can work for us. And instead, like you said, it'll be this constant churn of how can I, I need to make more money, I need it, I need it, without really being maybe strategic. And what I'm hearing you say is that when you're working with clients, you're being quite strategic and try to remove the fear, the emotion that might block people from managing or understanding how they can manage their money better to actually becoming a bit more kind of liberated with it and more empowered around the decisions and choices they make. That's exactly it. You sum it, yes. it up better than I did. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but it, yes, it's so true. And it, it is about that being intentional with it, having your money having a purpose. Because when we talk about we need to save, we need to save. And this is a very female thing as well. Save, 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 protect. Um, and there are reasons behind that too. But, you know, I had, for an example, a client come to me and she was really financially insecure. Like it, it, it was a major stress. They do say money worries are the number one cause of stress globally for men and women. So we worked through her finances and she was, she had a scarcity mindset. So she saved, 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 but at no purpose. So it never felt like enough. It never felt like it was doing anything for her. So we gave her savings a purpose. We set aside an emergency fund. She had done amazingly well. So she actually had her emergency fund there. So it was just about, this is your emergency fund and this is the rest of your savings. And immediately she just said, my whole mind is blown because already I feel safer. And interestingly, she, a few months later, she was made redundant from her job. And she told me that if that had happened before we worked together and we'd been intentional with and strategic with her money, she said she would have immediately panicked. This is back to the choices. She would have immediately panicked. She would have taken the first job that was offered to her because I need an income. I need an income. I need to be saving. I need to be saving. And it would have derailed her. Instead, she said, um, I want to talk to you about negotiating and a redundancy. How do I approach that? My ex-manager came to me and offered me a job. He heard about this redundancy, offered me a job. I met with him and I very quickly sat there and said, 
I remember why I don't long, no longer work for you. The company you're now working for is not aligned with my values. Thank you, but no thank you. Actually, I think I might take three months off work and figure things out. And that and her money situation didn't actually change. It was giving the purpose to her savings, giving her that sense of clarity. Money loves clarity. She had clarity on her situation and then the freedom that gave her. And yeah, so now she's she's now got an even better job and she is saving even more and she feels safe. That's the thing. She feels safe. That's amazing. Make what, those choices. Yeah, what a brilliant example. Thanks for that. Um, really interesting and, and a really good kind of good insight to how your mindset can shift and how you can approach things very, very differently. Because I tend to, you know, thinking about money, I, I, I know people where money, though, has also trapped people. And maybe because their relationship to money, I think it might go back to what we talked about earlier on, where people feel like they can't change jobs or they can't move on into something new or they can't, you know, go and pursue a passion to, you know, change their, maybe they're in a job that is very unfulfilling because of the responsibilities, because of the, well, without that money, then I, you know, I can't take five grand or 10 grand pay decrease. I've got to keep, you know, I've got to keep it as is. So therefore people can remain in those patterns of feeling very uncomfortable and dissatisfied. What advice would you give to those people? That was me. You described me in my corporate role. I was the breadwinner. I was the high earner. I was like, how can I walk away from this money? And like I said, the job that ticks all the boxes, I am, I felt ungrateful. I said, I'm so fortunate to be in this position. Why am I not happy? And how can I walk away from this and the responsibility? Because very often as well, you know, your lifestyle creep. So suddenly the more you earn, the more responsibilities you have. Yet the money spent, we do, that's what, I can do this now, so I will. And I was very unintentional with my money. And that's what caught me. And I felt trapped. I literally, like you said, I felt trapped. And I work with, I work with, this is one of my kind of specialisms that I work with women who are looking to make a leap into entrepreneurship and preparing them financially for that. And that's what it is. It's about preparing for it and getting clarity. I mean, I say this constantly, money loves clarity, but clarity is power. So Understanding your money situation right now would be my first thing. And this, no matter what your situation, this is important. What is your income at the moment? What is your expenditure? And on an actual basis, you know, I, I hear, oh, I know my rent is this, my groceries is this, but I don't understand where my money goes. It just seems to just disappear. We can't run spreadsheets in our brain. You know, we need to look at actuals. There's so much unconscious spending, things that we forget. Get downloads from your bank accounts and put the work in and do the analysis. What are you spending your money on right now? What is important to you and what is not? This is where your values piece will come bubbling to the top. How do you react to what you see? Oh, we're spending that much on, I don't know, takeaways, eating out, travel, health and fitness, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. Ooh, I don't, I can't believe it's that much money. I don't like that. Your body is telling you something. You know, that's not important to you. If, if you're not willing to invest money in that and that you have a negative reaction, put that down. That's not important to you. Are there other areas you're like, yeah, I'm really happy with that. That's good. Or mm, I could do a bit better there. So work out what you need and then figure out what based on your what's important to you in your values and what your responsibilities are. Sometimes we're locked in. We have mortgages, we have contracts, whatever it might be. We'll work out what your income needs to be. And every time I've done this, individuals incomes needs to be less than what they have because when they become intentional and then you work out what what is your why? Why do you want to leave this job? Why do you want to do something different? And when you really feel that and embody that, it's amazing. You can suddenly go, I don't want to go out every weekend anymore. I'll happily save that 50 pounds or 100 dirhams and put that aside so that I can have six months of expenses so that when I launch my business, I don't feel the financial pressure to earn immediately. I've got my buffer there and I've planned for it. So it's planning for it, but being you know, and that's scary. And, you know, actually lifting that hood on your finances, it's a very vulnerable position to be, but it's worth it. And I, I get this, you know, with clients a lot where, you know, they feel it's finding someone where it's a safe space. If you don't want to do that by yourself, you know, and this is for me, it's a safe space, non-judgmental space to do that. But sometimes it's a, it can take people months to build themselves up to actually look at those numbers Every single time without fail, they've said they've wished they'd done it sooner because it's either not nearly as bad as they thought or just the relief of knowing, you know, no longer second guessing, wondering, worrying. I'm like, oh, this is what it is. And now I have a plan. So 
it's tough work, but it's it's worth it, especially if you want to change jobs because it's not it, you know it's we spend so much time working. We need to be happy, right? (laughs) It needs to be be working for us. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be. I think that sense of feeling trapped can be can be really soul destroying for people. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing your story there. I had, so I'm going to run my example by you if that's okay. Now I've, I've overcome this um, now 12 years down the line, but in 2010, because of the recession and a very messy divorce that I was going through, I lost basically my original business, my coaching business. And I had to then start again. And my son was six years old. I, I lost everything. I lost my home. My I lost literally everything apart from my son um, and a few suitcases that were around us. I managed through the loan off my mum and dad to get myself into an apartment, just a two bedroom place where we could kind of start to rebuild and everything. And um, a friend of mine lent me their car because I didn't have anything when I needed it to take my son to you know events and all that kind of thing. And so I, I was in one of those moments where you think, oh my gosh, you know, it's sink or swim time. I have to make this work. And what I was left with though, on top of losing everything was a debt of £97,000 GDP. And so I wondered if I would have come to you because I was in panic, you know, absolutely. Because one, I'd worked really hard to uh, not be in that position for the previous seven years up until the loss of everything. And then I'd kind of, you know, really wanted to you know, it was very honourable and my integrity was, I, I really wanted to pay this money back to the bank. It was a, it was a loan and, and a various other bits and pieces. So I was really conscious that I, I wanted to do that. And so I wondered if I came to you, what advice would you have given me? Or how could you have helped me? Yeah, I would have, first we would sit down and start with mindset and how you are feeling about your situation. Because I think You know, I see individuals in, you know, not exactly the same, but where they have a lot of debt and they're feeling and it's it's very often the guilt and the shame attached to it that's holding them back. And And they're sitting in that that. guilt Mm -hmm. and shame. Yeah, I had had that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so debilitating. You know, it's so it's it freezes us, I find. And one of what I what I realized is one of the key things is to help clients release that, you know, and I've seen this with individuals with debt and we look to look, we look at it and go, you know what? We find a way it served a purpose. You know, there, there was a purpose behind this. Thank you for that. I'm here now. I no longer need you anymore. In some cases, the debt. Now it's time for me to go onwards and upwards. And then we start looking forward. So it's giving people permission to go. It's OK. Life happens. It's not a reflection on you. This is just a situation. And then they, they tell me they just feel like that frees them up and they can go, OK, right. Let's, what's next? What do we need to do? And then we would again go back to clarity. Let's get full clarity on your situation. And what are we going to do? Let's come up with a plan with your job, your employment, your whatever it might be. And actually having a debt of that size, it can feel very all encompassing. You know, if you think about the language, I am in debt. We say I am in debt. I'm like, no, you're not in anything. You have debt in your life. This is separate to you. It's not part of you. You're not in it. So this is something that we just need to manage. So then we would work out a plan as to, and so there's essentially light at the end of the tunnel. At what point will you be able to, and how can we make a plan? I call it a cash flow plan or a money flow plan. I don't like the word budget because it feels, people tell me it's, oh no, that's restrictive. It's a plan. How is money going to flow so that we can get you from here to here? And what date are we going to do that? And then if that's long term, I think it's important to also have milestones along the way because we need something to keep us going because it can be very, especially with debt from the past that has a negative emotional attachment to it as well. It can really pull you down. So it's important to acknowledge milestones, achievements and have that we can do this essentially Mm. um, Mm -hmm. plan. I mean, I kind of more or less did that actually. So that's really, it's quite nice mm. to know reassuring that. I actually, I, I'm not obviously, I'm right through that now, but it actually took me about seven, it took, took seven years. And I think when people do have a big debt, I think there is a realization that it, it, it will take time if you want to, if you also need to manage your normal life and carry, you know, try and have some normality as well, because I do feel you're right. I think that the sense of overwhelming, it was so heavy. You know, everything was all about paying off, paying off, paying off, paying off until then afterwards. I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? And I just wondered if you'd had experience with clients who'd paid their debt off and then thought, oh, because you're so ingrained 
in your thinking about that. So any advice for people who have paid their debts off or who are now have that sense of financial freedom, but actually are not sure what to do? Yeah, it, there's a fear of it. It's almost like a fear of success. I do have clients who are like, you know, when we dig deeper and we, and we work through, you know, the mindset and the layers and they realize, I actually, I've been holding this debt because I'm afraid to not have it because you're in it. You know, it becomes part of you again, part of your identity, even though it's not something we outwardly want. So again, that's working on the underlying reasons as to why you feel that way. You know, what is, what is triggering that and how do we release that? What is the limiting belief that you're holding on to? And then also, again, it's coming back to having clarity and plans. And I think, and the values piece. So, and, and, we, and we make it exciting. So imagine, you know, you now, you're no longer paying 500 pounds a month, whatever it might be. What are we going to do with that 500 pounds? Let's jump forward to what it will feel like to have 500 pounds a month. What will you do with that? And again, it's giving them permission to actually feel good about that. Will you go, you know what, go on a nice holiday, your first month where you have no payment, pay that 500 pounds towards something that's special to you. That's a treat, guilt free, shame free you know, congratulate yourself and then start working towards what's important to you, your values. Is it more abundance to never get yourself in this position again? Like I hear that a lot. I never want to go through this again. So, okay, let's work at having your emergency fund. Let's work on your money mindsets. Let's do some investing pieces. What is it that's important to you? So you've got that. Also, it's important to have that to look forward to. So, because like you mentioned, debt can be very you know, it can be very tricky. And when you're living in it for quite a, that period of time, it's all, it is important to have a life too. It is. You know, it's important to balance paying off the debt and it having is. some enjoyment. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you've got to be careful. And certainly the one thing I worked a lot on was making sure that debt didn't define me and I could start showing up as me not me with the debt or just the debt and so it's quite so I think that's and it sounds from a, from a mindset perspective that's certainly how you you help people too so I've got a few other questions for you if that's all right thank you great conversation I'm really finding this fascinating and thanks for giving all your advice and sharing ex your clients experiences you know there's that sense of money manifestation manifestation is everywhere right at the moment so you put your mind to it you manifest it it will happen now obviously as coaches you know, um, I don't know about you, but I certainly believe that, you know, if you do put your mind to it, you can achieve it. But that sense of, is there any truth in that saying, think rich, be rich? Yes. <laughs> Tell <is>. me more. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, I do. I believe it's mindset more than maths. You know, I, I constantly hear, but I'm no good at money. I'm no good at maths. I, I don't understand it. There is, that's an element, but we have calculators on our phones we've apps who can do all of that for us mindset is the biggest piece and one of the reasons when we talk about manifestation one of the reasons i call my budgets you know cash flow plans because for me that you know because sometimes my clients resonate with this sometimes they don't so i'm trying to you know we need to be all inclusive but for me personally it's a manifestation tool it's me mapping out how I want my money to flow through my life and I can visualize it because I'm when it comes to manifestation, I personally am very visual. I visualize I want to see things. And then what I my view on it is we visualize what it is we want in our lives from. And it, for me, yes, it's money, but it's what we're going to do with that money really is what it is. Um, and then I provide the practical tools to help you get there, because, yes, you need to think rich, but you also need to take action. You know, so your thoughts are the most powerful piece, but it's not, you know, there's no point in sitting in your bedroom. It's not going to land on your lap. You need to also do something about it. And that's where I, my, my role is the thinking piece, probably 80 to 90% of the work and then the practical tools to help you get there. And Amazing. 100% love manifestation. Yeah. There we go, everybody. Think rich and you can be rich. You will be rich. Um, yes. Yeah, so no, absolutely. I like that idea. Right. But I do agree. You have to take action. You can't just think it. You're right. Nothing's going to fall in your lap. You have to make the right, you know, you have to make some positive decisions, take some positive steps forward. So a couple of the questions for you, because I asked some of my, uh, asked some of the listeners in terms of what they might want to ask you. So I've got two really, really good questions. So the first one is, is in your experience, do people plateau in their happiness when they reach a certain level of wealth? Have you ever experienced that or is that, is that just a, a myth? 
You know, I think it's they can do. And the research was there was a research years ago. I think it was 70,000 was the plateau when your happiness goes up. And then once people reach it, was it 70 or 75,000 dollars, then their happiness levels started to go down. But actually, there's been more recent research, which has debunked that. I my personal view on it is you will reach that plateau and start coming down when you are attaching your happiness to the money. And that's the difference. So it's coming back to living in your values and using your money to live in your, to put, putting your money behind your values. Because if you think about it, right, if I earn and you've told yourself, I'm going to earn £100,000 a year. And with that, that means I'll be able to do this and this and this and this like these other people are doing right now. That, my experience, you reach that. And if that's not actually aligned with your values, if that's not actually important to you at your core, it's not going to bring you that happiness. So you're going to strive for more and more. And then the more money you have and then the more you're realizing, I'm not happy, I'm less happy. Why am I not happy? And it's that spiral. I've seen people who are on what others might consider really small amounts of money, but they use their money intentionally. They use it in line with their values and they are significantly happier than people who earn four, five, six times what they do. And I think that's it. So it's not necessarily the amount of money. It's your attachments, your self-worth, you know, if, if your self-worth is attached to how much money you earn, then it doesn't matter how much money you earn. You're never, you're never going to get that fulfillment. Yeah. Most people never be satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. Never be satisfied. Okay. Yeah. And that's where the keeping up with the Joneses yeah. is a trap, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I can see that for sure. And I'm sure others can as well. So another question, so I'm just looking down at my phone. So another question is, this is around passive incomes. Now, as a coach, you know, there's lots of people out there selling you can earn so much money without doing very much and you need a passive income and and i suppose you know this is it is kind of rammed down our throat quite a lot through social media in particular and some other avenues so what's your thoughts on passive incomes i mean yeah how easy is it I totally agree with you. It is a real kind of, not a buzz phrase, is it? <laughs> Recently where it's constant. And it is one of the things that I'm most asked for when clients come to me first. I need a passive income. How can I get a passive income? Tell me what to do. And unfortunately, it's not that easy. It's not as easy as we're led to believe. A passive income is actually quite rare because passive means you're not involved. So even the things that are thrown out there, you know, write a book, you know, it's not easy. Sell that book. You know, there's involvement in that. That's not passive. Have a digital course. That's not passive. Even having a rental income from a property. These are all examples that were given, you know, amazing ways to have passive income. You know, we have tenants, we have obligations. There is work still involved in having that. And also to have a substantial amount of passive income or, you know, let's say semi-passive income, usually involves a lot of upfront investment. So if you think about an investment property, so you buy a house, you rent it out. Most people buy that with a mortgage. So your passive, your income is actually quite limited because you pay your mortgage first and all the costs. So it's a longer term. Eventually your mortgage will pay it off and then that rental income is maybe a pension that you can use. You know, these things like digital courses, selling books online, they're not as easy as people that are just put out there. Just do it and it's easy, you know, I mean, it's not. There's a lot of work involved in that. And then other it, ideas, is, yeah. you know, there is. It's it's huge amount of work involved in those kind of things. And again, and, and for me, all of those things are you need to come at it with the right intention. No matter what your passive income idea is, it has to be because I believe in energy with money and the money, the, the energy you're attaching to that purpose. So if you're just putting out a an ebook, you know, because you want to earn lots of money and there's that kind of need attached to it. I personally think that, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing an uphill battle there. It needs to be for the right purpose and then money flows. But to answer on ideas for passive income, investing, you know, in stocks and shares and bonds is another great way. But again, you know, if you want to get to the point where you are financially free in the sense that your passive income is enough to cover your expenses so that you're choosing to work, not needing to work. It tends to be substantially more than people initially think when they approach this. So it's patience, time and doing your research to do it in the correct way. Because right now I can't think of any true passive income other than maybe buying equity shares in the market and leaving them there. Yeah. But you're talking 10 years yeah. before you really achieve yeah. what you would need to achieve. Anything, yeah. 
Yeah. It's really interesting because I find that obviously, you know, I do, I train a lot of people to be professional coaches. And, and, you know, the one thing that I look back on my career now over the, coming up for nearly 20 years is that, you know, when I've ever had a focus on money, so like, just as you described, where the, there is an attachment to money, the success hasn't come. And when I've let go and I've just focused on doing the work because the intention of doing the work. So I've written a book. My intention, it was published early on this year. My intention actually wasn't to make loads of money out of it. Yes, that would be very nice if that was to happen. But actually my intention was, if this helps one person, then that's done its job. And 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 I think, you know, when the intention is right or when you release the attachment to how much am I going to make from doing that or how much am I going to, and you're so kind of tightly, tightly attached to it, then I, I would agree. I don't think you get very, you don't get very, a lot back in return and you just become more anxious and more uptight about not making money. But I think even as a coach, when I went into business, that was one of the things somebody told me very early on is just focus on the work, enjoy the work, focus on the work and then money will come. So money will follow. And I think that's something that I've done over the years when I've looked at helping people reconnect with their passions. It goes back to their intentions and their values. And I just wondered if if you would agree with this, but when you focus on what brings you joy, how you can maybe help others, and, and there's more, like you said, much more of a purpose behind what you're doing, then that sense of fulfillment and abundance comes regardless, and money will follow. But when you follow the money, it doesn't necessarily always happen. I absolutely agree. And I think because when you're living in that space of purpose and helping others, people feel that off you. You know, we said people don't buy things or service, they buy you. And when you're being authentic and people, even unconsciously, you, you do become more success, successful. And I think it's a combination of that. You're happier. And when the happier we are, it's like we want to talk about high vibration, you know, where, where everything rises around us as well. Um, and people resonate with that. And then they buy more of our service, our books or whatever it is that we want that we are delivering there. But I think there's also the piece of because um, I hear a lot from women, you know, I'm, well, I'm doing my business because I love it. And I say, and to make money. You know, because they'll, they'll never say, you know, oh, oh but I'm, I'm only doing this, you know, but, I, but it's okay to also accept money for this. It's okay to also make a lot of profit from this. That is okay too. It's a bit of both. So because you need to also have, you know, the, the openness to earn from it, it's, but not the attachment to it, like you yeah, said. Yeah, I agree. I agree that there has to be that balance between doing something that you love that brings you joy and, and, and maybe will help or offer something somebody else but I also think you have to be commercial about it as well you've got to you've got to make money and you should enjoy the fact that you're making money because that gives you that as you said that freedom Mm -hmm. and this is why I work with women entrepreneurs because I realized that so many female entrepreneurs completely ignore the money side of the business and they're amazing at selling and they're amazing and like so passionate about their product their service and what they do and their marketing and it's all fantastic but then when I ask them you know other than how much are you taking in? How much is coming into the bank every month? They generally know that. Everything else they're like, oh, that's just, no, no, I can't. And I think that there's so much power in those numbers. There's so much information in those numbers. And this is why I work with women in, from a business finance perspective to help them regain that power, to understand that and to feel empowered in their business because so many decisions are made of, made of those financials. And like you said, being commercial is so important. And again, the the mindset piece of that is, one, you can do it. You know, you don't need someone else to do these things for you. You can absolutely understand them. And two, it's okay to want to make money. You know, it's a good thing to want to make money helping others. That's okay. Or selling what you're selling, doing what you're doing. It's, it's, we're, we're not running charities. We're running businesses. And then think of what you can do with that money. If you want to help your family, help others. Do whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, again, because that gives you that power, doesn't it? And that opportunity for choice. Mm. Fantastic. What an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Carol. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with myself. And I know our listeners are going to feel exactly the same. Now, before you go, three top tips. What should we be doing to help us engage in getting a better, more kind of financial freedom? So the top tip is money loves clarity. So... Be brave and look at what's happening with your finances right now. So get that clarity, what, what, all your expenditure and all of your income. 
Second thing is your mindset. Just become more aware of your language around money. Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it limiting? Is it restrictive? Are you open to it? And, and then it's about, you know, looking forward, you know, thinking about what you want to do, what you can achieve with that money and start working towards that. So it's allowing yourself to, to um, feel good about money. And I really like that to feel good. And certainly from this conversation, I am definitely going to be checking on my language about how I communicate with myself around money. So that's been amazing. Now, where can people find out more about you? Where can people get hold of you? My business is Conscious Finance Coaching. I'm probably most active on Instagram. So it's just at ConsciousFinanceCoaching.com. Um, I do quite a bit on LinkedIn under my own name at Carol Glynn. And yeah, I offer free calls, you know, for anyone who wants an introductory call. And actually in 10 days, I'm running a workshop, a finance 101, just a finance, like, I guess to answer your last question, you know, an hour and a half on how to really kickstart your new positive approach, getting clarity on your financial goals and values. Um, and that is on, I believe, the 26th of this month. So it's an online workshop and it's all women and it's a safe space where we talk about money and get lots of tips. So welcome to join that as well. That's amazing. So Carol, what I'll do is I will make sure that our listeners get access to where they can get hold of that information from you so that they can attend. Um, But thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I love the tips that you've shared. um, And it's been a really insightful conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. It was lovely to talk. I loved having this conversation with Carol. And so what stood out for me? Well, there's quite a lot of things actually that stood out for me, but the things in particular was about getting clarity, how you need that clarity to decide where you're going with your finances and how you can actually make your finances work for you. I thought that was a really interesting part of the conversation. I loved also around the mindset and language. And that's one of the things that struck me the most about this conversation is how you speak about your money or your financial circumstance determines the relationship and how you feel about your circumstances and situation. And like anything, if you can manifest to have a better financial situation, or to work towards a better financial situation, then it can be achieved if you put your mind to it. I suppose what stood out for me also was around connecting your financial aspirations with your values. So not just making it being about wealth and being rich and just having money, those materialistic aspects of money, but actually how it can connect with how you want to be living your life. And actually doing that kind of deeper work around really clarifying, well, what's coming in and what's going out? I mean, this all sounds so simple, but actually having been in that circumstance all them years ago, it is not actually that easy. And it takes a commitment to really looking at what is going on in your life and what do you want in your life so that you can have the right income, you can have the wealth that you need. But more than anything else, you can find that peace and abundance with your finances. So I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you did too. I found it very worthwhile and I know that I'm taking a good few tips away with me to integrate into my financial situation moving forward. 